Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. In an age when schools are increasingly looking towards building compassion within relationships, are we missing a trick? Have we missed the idea of building compassion towards ourselves? In this episode, Dr. Karen Bluth, Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of North Carolina, talks us through self-compassion in adolescence, how it can be a key component of emotional well-being outcomes, how we define it, and how we can help these young people build their sense of self-compassion in everyday life. Karen, welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. It's a pleasure to be here. So I wanted to ask you first about what what you interested in self-compassion and took you down this road in your research. Well, I think it it probably started when I was a teen, you know, and so um, I I think like most teens, I had a a lot of challenges, emotional challenges when I was a teen, and I struggled a lot with um, uh, depression and stress, and so... um, you know, it wasn't necessarily an easy time for me. There are a lot of good things about it, but it was, it was, it wasn't easy. And so I really, as I got older, um, I became interested in um, how can we make this period of time, this developmental stage easier for teens. And um, also uh, it, it's just gotten harder over the years. It's, it's um, this generation of teens, I think, struggle a lot more with things like stress, anxiety, and depression. Um, To no fault of their own, I think there's a lot of pressure on kids um, now that there wasn't when I was a teen. So I think that's where it started. And then um, I've had a mindfulness practice since I was a teen. Um, I started learning how to practice. um, It wasn't called mindfulness then. It was a different kind of meditation. But I started when I was about um, 16, 17. So that has been a cornerstone of my life. That's been an anchor for me throughout my whole adult life. So that was always an interest. I was also a teacher, for, a classroom teacher for almost 20 years. And um, the last 10 of which were with teens. So, um, so it's been a big interest of mine um, over all these years. And, and, um, and so my interest really has been around how can we make this period of time a little bit easier? For, for teens, it doesn't have to be this difficult. Your research has looked specifically at self-compassion um, and how this can help teenagers. How did you first become interested in this area? Well, I didn't really come across it until um, sometime in the 90s when my meditation group was passing around a um, cassette tape of uh, Poetry of Self-Compassion by David White, a British poet. And he um, read a number of poems on about self-compassion. And it was at a time in life when my kids were little and they were, um, I spent a, a, seemed like quite a bit of time driving around with them in their car seats, trying to get them to go to sleep. 
and um, and I would have this cassette tape in the um, the tape deck in the car and would listen to these poems and they really became um, I internalized them and um, I think that's where it started and then it grew out of my interest grew out of um, I was in grad school later. And I started reading Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion, which started around 2003. And you spoke there about um, Kristen Neff's work. What is the research um, telling us about self-compassion in teenagers? Yeah, well, um, in in 2010, there wasn't there hadn't been any work done on uh, um, on self-compassion in teens yet. And the first article actually was published, I think, it was 2010, with um, Kristen Neff and Pittman McGee and talked about how um, there are uh, correlations between self-compassion and um, mental health, emotional well-being in teens. Before that, there had been a fair amount of work that was done looking at self-compassion with adults in adult populations and showing how uh, self-compassion correlates with um, health and emotional well-being in adults, but nothing had been done on teens. So the first article was 2010, and then there's another article in 2011, and then I published an article in 2012. And then from there, over the last um, seven years or so, there's been quite a few more articles published. I think there's maybe 30 or 40 articles on self-compassion in teens published now. And basically what we're seeing is the same kind of findings as we see with adults. So we see um, people who are more self-compassionate have less anxiety, depression, and stress, and greater happiness, greater satisfaction with their lives, um, more connection with others. Um, They feel more connected to other people. and just basic overall um, better um, emotional health, better resilience also, more interest in um, looking outside their comfort zone and trying new things. Okay, so the research is really starting to show us that um, self-compassion can be a core component of positive emotional um, outcomes later on, particularly some of these things that that schools are really interested in, you know, resilience and... um, positive outlooks and there are kind of three components to self-compassion that we talk about which we'll discuss a little bit later but but of these which of these has kind of stood out in the research um, on adolescence and self-compassion as being kind of really crucial at that time so in particular the the common humanity aspect of self-compassion which says that what we're going through um, is not unique to us is these emotional challenges that we have or, or you know, feeling um, sad or feeling hurt or frustrated or angry. This is not, um, or insecure or unworthy. These are not things that are particular to us, that, that these are things that we all experience at some time or another. And I think teens don't realize this. You know, from my experience working with teens, they're pretty um, surprised and, um, when they realize, when we do these exercises with them, and they realize that, oh, other people feel inadequate, and other people feel unworthy, and other people feel anxious, like they have no um, idea or little idea that others experience those emotions as well. So um, this takes the, the spotlight off them in their minds, 
and um, and connects them more with what other people are going through. Okay, and that kind of fits with um, ideas in neuroscience that actually, you know, during this rewiring period in the brain for adolescents, we, or they sometimes lose that perspective of kind of how others are feeling and, and are a bit more inward looking. So that would fit with that idea that actually they're struggling to understand that other people feel the same way or that's part of our human experience to feel that way. Um, so that's really interesting. And could you talk us through the other components to self-compassion? What else makes up what we understand to be self-compassion? Yeah, so um, so according to the definition of Kristen Neff, who is the pioneer in self-compassion, um, there are three, as you said, there are three components of self-compassion. And the first is mindfulness, right? And, and knowing that this isn't going to last forever, what you're experiencing and having a balanced perspective around it. And then the common humanity, you know, the idea that I'm not alone in these um, these uh, emotional struggles that I'm encountering and and then self-kindness. So being kind to yourself and um, and not being so self-critical and self-judgmental and so hard on yourself. We, we all tend to be um, extraordinarily hard on ourselves. So you mentioned mindfulness there, which I think is something that people obviously would think of as quite distinct from self-compassion. Are these two concepts something that are correlated? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So um, in order to be self-compassionate, we need to be aware of what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And that's the mindfulness piece. So um, noticing um, what's happening as it's happening and doing so with a sense of um, curiosity and interest and um, and um, just observing what's happening and um, without spinning out. And we all tend to spin out, you know, when something bad happens. Um, so, so yeah, they're connected. They're overlapping constructs, um, mindfulness and self-compassion. And generally what we see in research studies is that um, they're um, pretty highly correlated with, with each other. Um, they're not, they're different. They're not the same construct. They're different enough, but they are related. And some of your other studies found that there were other kind of aspects that were correlated with self-compassion as well. Resilience, for example. So we, we define resilience as the ability to uh, bounce back from difficult circumstances. And so um, you know, one of my studies showed um, with a large population of adolescents that um, the more self-compassionate you are, the more... Um, likely you are to be resilient, the more resilient you are. So um, yeah, we know that those two, are those two um, constructs are correlated. Okay, and so we see resilience as something that helps us um, increase our ability to cope in adverse situations. So the fact that they're correlated, does that suggest that self-compassion is helpful as a coping strategy or increased self-compassion helps us to have coping strategies? Yeah, well, um, we consider uh, self-compassion um, a way of, it's not just a coping skill, but it's, it, um, it does offer us ways to um, cope with difficult circumstances. And, um, and so it's, um, yeah, it's a way that we can be there for ourselves in, um, when we're having a hard time. You know, so it it offers us the that sense of 
um, I can do this. I can, um, I can uh, handle this situation um, because I'm able to be there for myself. I'm able to be a good friend to myself. Okay, so self-compassion is really about building in yourself the belief that you can manage in those situations, which means that people can utilize more effectively, I guess, the coping strategies that they have at hand. Um, and it being this useful to us and, and this um, positive in terms of the outcomes for adolescents, is it modifiable? Is it something that we can change and, and train in teenagers? Well, we actually know that both mindfulness and self-compassion are modifiable. So um, we know through various intervention programs that we have, um, that we have researched that um, we can teach self-compassion. We know we can teach mindfulness also. There are a lot of uh, interventions, a lot of um, programs for, um, for both kids and teens that show that you can teach mindfulness. But um, we have a program for adults called Mindful Self-Compassion where uh, we teach adults mindfulness skills, and um, I adapted that program along with a colleague, um, Lorraine Hobbs, for a program for teens, and we call that program Making Friends with Yourself. And we've now trained almost 200 teachers internationally in this program over the last three and a half years or so. And what we see is that uh, teens who take this program are more self-compassionate um, at the end of the program. Self-compassion goes up. So, um, and then of course, along with self-compassion, um, we see aspects of positive well-being. So less anxiety, depression, and stress, um, um, greater satisfaction um, with life. Um, so greater overall well-being. So we know that um, we can teach self-compassion. Okay, and if listeners want to find out more about that program, we can put the link in the podcast description. So we've been talking about self-compassion in teenagers. Do we know um, about whether it changes with age? Is, is teenagers a, a particularly vulnerable point in terms of self-compassion? Yeah, so um, we know that, um, interestingly, when kids are in, in middle school, so around 11 to 14, that um, they pretty much have, girls and boys have around the same level of self-compassion and around the same level of satisfaction with life, um, same level of what we call perceived stress, the stress that they see themselves as under, and, um, and also um, uh, mood, you know, negative mood. Um, as they get older, um, when they're in high school, so age now, uh, we're talking about maybe 14 to 18, that females um, have less self-compassion than males and also less self-compassion than they did in middle school. So they kind of do a self-compassion dive. Um, we also know that their satisfaction with life also decreases as well as their stress level. So, um, so their stress gets worse, their satisfaction with life um, decreases, their mood gets worse from the time that they're in middle school to the time that they're in high school. And it's worse than also males of the same age. This correlates with the research that we have on depression. We know that around the same time, um, girls um, 
become more depressed um, during this period from around the age 11 or 12 to 15 or so. And um, we don't know exactly why. There are a lot of theories on why this happens, but um, as far as I know, we don't know specifically. So for girls in particular, this is a really crucial time to be using interventions that uh, help improve self-esteem. And on these interventions, on the um, Making Friends With Yourself program, what are you trying to build in the young people and what what things are you teaching that help to increase self-compassion? Um, so we use all these different modalities really to um, get across the idea to uh, teens that they really have what they need within them to work with the struggles that they encounter in, in everyday life and that they can treat themselves with the same kindness and the same care that they treat their good friends. They're very kind to their friends, they're compassionate to their good friends, but they haven't yet learned because our society doesn't teach them to turn that kind of kindness and compassion towards themselves. So a lot of the focus is on empowering the young people to feel like they can use the skills they already have, but for themselves. Yeah, and we teach them a lot of what we call informal meditations. And um, informal meditations are things that you can do on the spot. So um, something happens and they're starting to feel stressed and they can go right into one of these quick practices. That take maybe 10 seconds, you know, and or 30 seconds, you know, um, as a reminder to, okay, I can be nice to myself. I can support myself, you know, I don't have to beat myself up. And it's very eye-opening for a lot of teens. They, they, they just really don't realize that, oh, I don't have to do this. I don't have to beat myself up. And I can still be successful. And I can still do well in school. And I can get into a good college. And I can have friends. And I can succeed in all those things that are important to me. So that's how the mindfulness and the sense of humanity kind of go hand in hand. We need to have that skill or build that skill in the young people we work with to be able to stop and take a moment to check in with themselves before they can do the um, positive self-compassion aspects of it. Yeah, so I think what we all tend to do when we have these negative feelings, push them away, you know, because we don't want to feel them because they're not fun to feel, you know, it's not fun to feel hurt. So you know, we'll cover hurt with other feelings like anger. And, um, but what we know is that when we allow ourselves to feel those feelings and work with them and give ourselves support as we're feeling those feelings, that um, we can move through them more easily and more quickly. So, um, yeah, so, and, and, and it's a lot easier to, um, to be with a feeling of feeling hurt when you know that you're not the only one, when you know it's not because you've done something wrong, you know, it's not your fault, you know, this is life. Or when you're feeling stressed because and overwhelmed because you're so much um, academic pressure to know that, you know what, it's not all your fault, you know, some of this is society, some of this is the pressure, you know, that our unhealthy society puts on, on, on teens these days, you know, and, so um, it's not really your, it's not totally your fault. That doesn't mean you're off the hook. 
That doesn't mean you don't have to do the work. You still have to do the work, but you don't have to put that added layer of, you know, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, I should have studied more. You know, the, that beating yourself up layer on yourself. So you're kind of giving that message that we can't take away these feelings from them, but they are manageable and that there shouldn't be kind of that aspect of self-blame and stuff as part of, of how, what they're feeling. Right. And, and, and knowing that this is part of life, that, you know, that, that sometimes we feel um, overwhelmed and sometimes we feel hurt and sometimes we feel angry and sometimes we feel frustrated. And this is part of being human, you know, we don't necessarily get that message um, from society. We get the message that we're supposed to be happy all the time. And if we're not happy all the time, we're doing something wrong. You know, we should, you know, we're doing, and, you know, we should be looking at what we're doing wrong. That's not the case. You know, sometimes it's, this, this is just life. This is what life tosses us. And, you know, and um, we don't get so much into the why, but really what can we do? right now so it seems like to me the whole practice is kind of building on this idea of of mindful um, thinking kind of living in that moment but saying that we can we can get through that moment and we can accept how we feel at that moment um and kind of putting an emphasis on how important that is whilst also building in this um idea of forgiving yourself and deciding with all that in mind what to do next yeah, I think mindfulness is a big is a big part of it. I think it's important to have. Um, you can't really do it without the awareness that you're that you're struggling. And you know um, that might seem really obvious that um, that oh, of course you know that you're struggling, but we don't always. You know, we we often um, get busy with our lives. We sometimes intentionally get busy so that we don't have to feel what we're feeling particularly if it's feelings like grief, you know, and um, so often we cover it up, you know, and um, we can cover it up by just being busy or we can cover it up with, with feelings like anger, you know, which, which prevent us from feeling um, what's underneath the anger, which often is much more sensitive and vulnerable and painful, frankly. Okay, so it's really trying to unpick um, that idea that sometimes the emotion we're showing isn't actually the emotion that we might be feeling or, or dealing with much deeper down. Um, and all these ideas, how would you suggest that teachers try and put this into their practice? Yeah, well, um, I learned a lot um, by being a teacher, by being a classroom teacher. And I think the probably the most important thing, frankly, for, for teachers is to model self-compassion, you know, um, kids, including teens, young kids, but teens also, um, learn by watching, um, their role models. So, um, teachers can do this by, um, being self-compassionate to themselves. And an example is if they make a mistake in the classroom rather than covering it up, which of course is our tendency because we want to appear like we are, um, you know, we have ability and we're capable and all that, but to point out like, okay, look, I just made a mistake. Um, my phone went off, my cell phone went off in class. You know, I forgot to turn my cell phone off, which by the way has happened to me. <laughs> um, 
you can point it out and say, you know, I have a choice right now. I can beat myself up and say, oh, I'm so stupid. I should have turned it off. I'm supposed to be a role model for these kids. Why didn't I turn it off? And you can, I can beat myself up about it. Or I can say to myself, um, that was a mistake. I made a mistake. I'm going to um, be a little bit more conscious next time to make sure I turn off my cell phone. But you know what? I'm human. And it doesn't help to beat myself up right now. So I'm going to be more careful next time, but I'm not going to beat myself up. And so to, to you know, to basically name it in the classrooms and, and show like, this is what happens when you make a mistake and this is what you can do. And that's one way. And another way is um, when the students make mistakes, um, also uh, modeling how they are walking them through how they could respond to themselves. So, you know, when a student says, um, you know, I'm so mad at myself, I, you know, I got this bad grade and, you know, yada, yada. Um, the teacher can walk themselves through, walk the, walk the student through the process of saying, well, this is what you can do instead. You know, you can say, look, next time I'm going to study more, but you can let go of it and not beat yourself up. So when teachers see those um, moments where teenagers are showing less self-compassion towards themselves, what are the kind of conversations they should be having at those points? When the moment comes up, when you're uh, experiencing, when you're seeing a student beat themselves up and be hard on themselves, whether it's um, something academic or, you know, sports or, um, you know, how you can walk them through and say, um, you don't have to, you, you can still be successful and you can still reach your goals by not being so hard on yourself. And in fact, what we know from research is that um, people are more motivated to um, reach their goals and to take chances when they're more self-compassionate. So, so I think catching those moments when students are beating themselves up and intervening Okay, so for teachers, it's really about um, being aware and alert to those moments. And if you can catch them at that time, then you can make a big influence in changing those thought patterns and building in that sense of humanity and um, the idea that everyone is going through things and, and you can change your thinking and you can kind of get through it. So Karen, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, well, thank you. This has been um, really fun. And thank you for listening. You can find out more about some of the things Karen spoke about in this episode in the podcast description. And if you like this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review. You can follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum and you can get in touch by emailing theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.